This audio lecture is based entirely upon the casebook Sales and Leases, a problem-based approach by Scott J. Burnham and Kristen Juris. The casebook is published by Callie E. Langdell Press and licensed Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International. That means that the authors have allowed everyone to copy and redistribute the material in any medium or format and remix, transform, and build upon the material as long as users give appropriate credit. Don't use the material for commercial purposes and redistribute contributions under the same license. Much thanks is due to the authors for writing this book and providing it to everyone for free. In furtherance of this spirit and in compliance with the original license, I also license this audio lecture as Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Contracts Lectures. This is lecture number 12, and in this lecture, we'll be discussing acceptance and revocation of acceptance. So with regard to acceptance, note that the term acceptance refers to the buyer's acceptance of the goods which the buyer has agreed to purchase under a previously formed contract. It does not refer to acceptance of an offer, which leads to formation of a contract. Recall that the perfect tender rule favors the buyer and allows the buyer to reject for any non-conformity, subject to certain important limitations, including the obligation to notify the seller of rejection and the seller's right in certain circumstances to cure the defect. Once a buyer has accepted the goods, the rules shift to favor the seller. After acceptance, the buyer may no longer reject the goods for any nonconformity. The buyer does have a more limited right, described as revocation of acceptance. So under Section 2-606-1, acceptance occurs in one of three ways. Acceptance occurs after a reasonable opportunity to inspect the goods. If the buyer signifies to the seller that either, one, the goods are conforming, or two, that the buyer will take or retain the goods in spite of their non-conformity. Comment 3 states that, quote, payment made after tender is always one circumstance tending to signify acceptance of the goods, but in itself, it can never be more than one circumstance and is not conclusive, end quote. What constitutes a reasonable opportunity to inspect is a question of fact. Comment 2 states that, course of performance, course of dealing, and usage of trade will be important 
in determining what is reasonable. Note that if a buyer accepts the goods in spite of their nonconformity, the buyer is not out of luck. The buyer may have a claim for damages arising from the nonconformity or may have the right to revoke acceptance. Acceptance occurs after the buyer has had a reasonable opportunity to inspect the goods. If the buyer fails to make an effective rejection under UCC section 2-602. The buyer accepts goods if the buyer does any act inconsistent with the seller's ownership. This concept is parallel to the buyer's obligation under UCC section 2-602 not to exercise ownership after the buyer has rejected the goods. However, not all uses constitute an act inconsistent with the seller's ownership or an exercise of ownership. For example, if the buyer only uses the goods for purposes of inspection, such as the test drive of a car which the buyer is interested in purchasing, such use is not inconsistent with the seller's ownership. Furthermore, the seller may put the buyer in a position where the buyer has no choice but to use the goods after rejection, such as continued use of a non-conforming carpet, which the seller has installed and refuses to remove after the buyer rejects the carpet. And the effect of acceptance. If the buyer accepts the goods, turn to Section 2-607 for the effect of acceptance. After acceptance, the buyer must pay the contract price. If the buyer has accepted in spite of a nonconformity, under Section 2-717, the buyer may deduct the damages resulting from the nonconformity from the purchase price. Under Section 2-607-2, if a buyer accepts the goods, the buyer no longer has the right to reject the goods. Although the buyer may have lost his right to reject the goods as a result of acceptance, the buyer still has a claim for damages if there is a nonconformity. Under Section 2-607-3A, after acceptance, the buyer must, within a reasonable time after discovery of a breach, notify the seller of the breach or be barred from any remedy. Comment 4 states that the content of the notification need merely be sufficient to let the seller know that the transaction is still troublesome and must be watched. The courts are split on whether remote sellers are also required to receive notice of a breach, or if the buyer only needs to give notice of breach to her immediate seller. And after acceptance, the burden is on the buyer to establish any breach with respect to the goods accepted. And moving to revocation of acceptance. At this point, you are well aware that if a buyer accepts goods, the buyer may no longer reject the goods for any nonconformity. After acceptance, is the buyer stuck with a product that turns out to be defective? That is, although the buyer still has the right to other remedies, can the buyer rescind the contract? and be excused from paying the purchase price for the goods. 
Section 2-608 provides limited circumstances where a buyer may revoke acceptance, return the goods, and be relieved from his obligation to pay. In order to revoke acceptance, the nonconformity must substantially impair the value of the good to the buyer, quote, to him, end quote. And either the buyer accepted, aware of the nonconformity, but reasonably assuming that it would be cured, and it hasn't been seasonably cured, or the buyer had not discovered the nonconformity at the time of acceptance, either because, one, the nonconformity was difficult to discover, or two, her acceptance was reasonably induced by seller's assurances, which, for example, may have caused her not to inspect. Many of the cases explore whether the language to him creates a subjective test of nonconformity, which might allow the buyer to claim that a trivial defect was important to the particular buyer. For example, in Harper versus Mitchell, the court stated, quote, while it is true that Section 2-608 creates a subjective test in the sense that the requirements of a particular buyer must be examined and deferred to, the evidence with regard to the substantial impairment to a particular buyer must be measured in objective terms. Thus, the substantial impairment requirement should be construed to exclude attempted revocations based upon trivial defects or defects that can be easily repaired. End quote. Note that a buyer may not revoke acceptance based upon defects which were not known to him at the time of acceptance because of his own failure to make a reasonable investigation. In Hummel v. Skyline Dodge, Inc., a used car dealer was interested in buying a car for resale on his lot. He was aware that it had been in a previous accident. He inspected the car. He then bought the car. A few weeks later, he took it to a mechanic who told him the frame was bent and there was a crack in the engine mount. The court would not allow him to revoke acceptance, noting that he had an unlimited opportunity to inspect the car prior to agreeing to purchase it. Note also that if a purchaser knowingly buys something with a defect, the purchaser cannot subsequently revoke acceptance based upon that defect unless the purchaser had reason to believe that the defect would be cured. Under UCC Section 2-608-2, revocation of acceptance must occur within a reasonable time after the buyer discovers or should have discovered the defect and before any substantial change in the condition of the goods not attributable to the defect. Comment 4 indicates that attempts to repair should be taken into account in determining what constitutes a reasonable time within which to revoke. For example, if a car dealer repeatedly attempts to repair a car and fails to do so, the period of repair will extend the time within which a buyer may reasonably revoke. Another important factor is the difficulty in discovering the defect. 
in Smith versus Penbridge Associates. Donna Smith purchased a breeding pair of emus in August 1992. In October, Donna became suspicious of the gender of the emus. She called the seller, who recommended that Donna do an internal exam of the emus to determine their gender. As a result of this exam, Donna discovered that both emus were male, and she immediately provided sellers with notice of revocation of her acceptance of the breeding pair. The seller argued that Donna should have discovered the problem sooner, but the court disagreed, noting the difficulty of determining the gender of an emu. And the buyer must notify the seller of the revocation within a reasonable time after discovery of the grounds for revocation. Comment 4 to Section 2-608 notes that the parties may, by their agreement, limit the time for notification. At least one court has ruled that notice one year after discovery of a defect is unreasonable as a matter of law. Now moving to the return of goods after revocation. After acceptance has been revoked, must the buyer return the goods to the seller? UCC Section 2-608-3 states that a buyer who rightfully revokes acceptance has the same rights and duties with regard to the goods involved as if he had rejected them. Under UCC Section 2-711-3, where a buyer has rightfully rejected goods or revoked acceptance, the buyer has a security interest in any goods in her possession to the extent the buyer has paid all or a portion of the purchase price, and to the extent the buyer incurred cost in their inspection, receipt, transportation, or care. The buyer may resell the goods to satisfy this security interest. In JF Daily International Limited versus Midwest Container and Industry Supply Company, the buyer revoked acceptance of thousands of plastic bottles which it purchased from the seller after it was discovered that the bottles leaked. The buyer failed to return the bottles to the seller. In upholding the appropriateness of the buyer's conduct, the court noted, quote, In this case, however, there was no evidence of any instructions by seller other than to ship the bottles back to seller at buyer's expense. As buyer points out, Section 400.2-6031 further provides that a seller's instructions are not reasonable if, on demand, indemnity for expenses is not forthcoming. Seller repeatedly declined to pay for return shipment of the bottles. Thus, buyer had no obligation to abide by seller's instructions. Further, according to seller's employee, seller would have ground the bottles up for remanufacture. Thus, the evidence supports the inference that the remaining bottles were of little or no value to anyone else, thereby excusing any effort by buyer to sell them on the open market. End quote. And finally, the effect of breach on risk of loss. The normal risk of loss rules set forth in Section 2-509 are displaced by Section 2-510 if there is a breach giving rise to the right to reject 
or if there is a rightful revocation of acceptance. Under Section 2-510, if a tender or delivery of goods fails to conform to the contract and gives rise to a right of rejection under the perfect tender rule, the risk of loss remains on the seller until cure or acceptance. Under UCC Section 2-510, if there is acceptance, which the buyer then revokes, the buyer bears the risk of loss to the extent of the buyer's insurance coverage, but the seller is responsible for any deficiency in the buyer's insurance coverage. That brings us to the end of this lecture. Thanks, everybody, and take care.